Let's take God's word and turn again to the book of Numbers, if you would, Numbers 16, and we come to this uh, very famous portion of Scripture. It's famous in its and its narrative and the response that God has towards this rebellious uprising. And uh, it's famous that no other event like it has been recorded in Scripture. And as far as we know, no other event quite like it has been recorded in the history of humanity. This group of men who started an uprising against the men of God were dealt with immediately and suddenly. The earth opened up right before the people's eyes and these men and their families and everything that belonged to them were swallowed up. And the earth closed up on top of them. I don't know about you, but if I was there that day, I would be shaking in my boots. Every once in a while, God gives little instances like this to let His people know just how serious sin is and how serious a rebellion against God-ordained work is. We find a similar account. Do you remember in the book of Acts of the early establishing and empowering of the church when Ananias and Sapphira came in, they lied to the Holy Ghost. They lied to the people of God. They had agreed. This husband and wife had agreed. They said, well, we, we sold the land for this much money. They made a big show of it. They were giving their money to the church. They wanted people to look at them. They wanted to have the same recognition that Barnabas had. And they lied about it. They had no reason to lie. They had no need to lie. And therefore, they were struck dead immediately and carried out. And we might think, we might be tempted to think that was quite a, an extreme thing to do. But God wants us to know just how extremely sinful sin is. Now, I remind you, we are living in a day that has made light of sin. We have excused sin, renamed sin, made all sorts of reasons why it's not a big deal. Some people have gone as far as to say, where in, in the portions of God's Word that speak against certain sins, some people have gone as far as to say, those parts shouldn't be in the Bible. That's con convenient, isn't it? Let's erase the parts of the Bible that contradict my living. That's, that's nice. Very convenient. Because people are foolish and they love their sin. And this morning we look at another area that is very serious. Now this portion of Scripture, I confess, has been abused before. Men have used it to try to hold people beneath their thumb or beneath their feet. It has been abused, but nonetheless, it must, if we're going to preach the whole counsel of God's Word, it must be addressed. We come to this very interesting portion of Scripture. We'll, look, we'll take a couple of weeks to look at it. But I want to draw your attention really to verse number 5. And from this verse, we will, we will take our message. Moses responds to the rebellion of these men, and he falls on his face in verse 4, and he speaks to Korah, the leader of the rebellion, and to all of his company, saying this, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are His and who is holy. I've underlined that expression in my Bible. The Lord will show who are His. Time will tell, won't it? I meet people all the time that look spiritual and sound spiritual and wax eloquent 
and they try to gather a following to themselves. But we are reminded, I am reminded today, that the Lord will show who are His. The Lord will reveal who are His men and who are pretenders. God will reveal it. There's been a pattern throughout time of God revealing to His people just who are His men and who are fakes. We have this occasion in Scripture today. There are really two kinds of people in our text today. The self-promoting and the God-ordained. There are only two kinds of leaders in the world today. Two kinds of Christian leaders today. The self-promoting and the God-ordained. Those who put themselves in positions of authority and those that God puts there. And usually the one, the ones that God ordains are the ones who never asked for it, who didn't go out looking for it. But God went looking for them, not because of who they were, but because of who God is. There's a great difference. We'll look together this morning at these two. We start by looking at the self-promoting. Look at verse number one. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. There's your first man, and he is the leader of the rebellion. We know that. I mentioned earlier, because in the book of Jude, it's all summed up with this expression, the gainsaying of Korah. This whole movement, this whole rebellion could be summed up with the name of one man. And by the way, it's interesting how this one man tried to say, look, we are all equal. That's usually the way it sounds. And really what he means is, I want to get this man down so I can put myself up. And he'll do that by trying to get other people behind him to say as if we're all the same, but he's leading it. He's the driving force behind it. And an interesting truth about Korah is he was Moses' first cousin. Moses and Aaron's first cousin from the tribe of Levi. Korah's father and Moses' father were brothers. He was from the Kohathites, and they had a very unique privilege of carrying the tabernacle and the articles when the, when the nation of Israel would move from place to place. They were a very privileged people. It's very interesting. Oftentimes when somebody has a life of privilege, it's usually never enough. Korah is your first man. Then we have three other men, Dathan, Abiram, and On. All three of them are from the tribe of Reuben. And if you remember, Reuben was the firstborn son, the oldest. And according to custom and tradition, should have been leading the nation of Israel. But if you remember, they were not the privileged tribe to be leading. And that's probably where the grudge came from. So here you have these four men. Now, what was their problem? Look at it with me, please. The Bible says in verse number one, they took men. They started gathering sympathizers. They started gathering a group of people that would listen to their complaints and who would even begin to agree with some of their complaints. I would always be very careful about somebody who comes to you with complaints about leadership, who come to you with complaints, because they're usually trying to draw a crowd of following to themselves. They took men, and in verse number two, they rose up. Now, can I just say this morning, would you look here for a moment? We need more than ever for men to rise up. But this was not men rising up. This was an uprising. There's a difference. 
There's a difference between rising up and an uprising. And the difference is this. Men who rise up to the occasion rise up for the cause of truth in what is right. But men who cause an uprising rise up for the sake of their own exaltation. There's a difference. You see it today. We were in the city center yesterday in outreach, and there were a couple of different groups picketing and marching, and one group was picketing and marching because of the prices of, of, uh, of gas around the country, and they were really wanting their voice to be heard. And, and another group was picketing and, and, uh, and marching because of, of the lack of lorry drivers to deliver the fuel and all sorts of occasions and reasons for people to be rising up. And it rarely is for the sake of truth. Sometimes it is. But rarely is it for the sake of truth. We need more than ever for men to rise up and women to rise up. I wonder this morning, are you of the inclination? Do you have that within you to stand up for what is true? You find in this text that they gathered very quickly 250 princes of the assembly. Those were top people of the nation of Israel. Now remember, two and a half million uh, were the number of the Israelites. But they found 250 famous men, men of renown. Now probably these 250 men did not agree with all that Dathan and Abiram didn't agree with all that Korah had to say, but there was enough there that they would get on board. And maybe they just kept quiet about some of the nonsense. But can I tell you to be silent? To be silent is oftentimes just as sinful as saying, speaking out against that which is true. And I believe that we are living in an age of silence. And here are some men who are silent about the rebellion that they're seeing. Silent about the atrocity that they're seeing. They rose up with 250 famous congregants, 250 men of renown. Can I just say to you, never make the mistake of thinking that important people are spiritual people. Never make the mistake of thinking that some, because somebody has a, an important job that they are spiritual or that they are worth following. Never make that mistake. I know churches that get themselves into trouble because they exalt people who have a lot of money as if that because they have a lot of money, they're important. Or they exalt somebody who has a good name and reputation in society, as if the recognition of society is the same thing as the recognition of God. Be careful. Be careful of, of such an appointment. They had 250 men appointed because of their, their, their standard, because of their name amongst the nation. There is a difference between spiritual people and so-called important people. And the Bible says they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. I will be very cautious about joining any group that is established for the sole purpose of going against spiritual leadership. I'd be very careful. But what was their problem? Listen to how they talk. By the way, can I just say this morning... The way a man talks is very revealing. A man's speech reveals an awful lot about their character. It's interesting when you hear gossip about someone. 
Gossip often reveals more about the person speaking than it does about the person being spoken against. So be careful you don't join in. Somebody comes to you with some sort of grievance about somebody else. It's more revealing how they're speaking than it is revealing about that other person. Now look at their five expressions of so-called concern in verse number three. Ye take too much upon you. That's their first their first expression of concern. And then they say, all the congregation are holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves against the congregation of the Lord. Now we're going to come back to that in a moment. At first glance, it all sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Do you know that every rebellion, every uprising against God-ordained leadership always sounds at the front reasonable. Otherwise, they'd never get a following. It always sounds and looks from the outset as something reasonable, a reasonable argument, a reasonable concern. Otherwise, you'd never get a following. And it usually focuses on a tender spot in most of the congregation's lives. And that's exactly what's happening here. But let me give you a bit of history about these men. Korah was a bitter man. We know that for a couple of reasons. He thought he deserved more. One of the greatest problems of self-promoting men is that they always think they deserve better. They always think they deserve more power, more privilege, more opportunity. They sit and they think, I could do better than that. I can speak better than that. I can lead better than that. I've got better ideas, better wisdom. And they always think that they deserve more. And this man was the very same. I don't deserve to be treated like this, he thought. I deserve more. Now, many people believe this stemmed from Numbers chapter 3 and verse number 20, when a younger man from another family was made chief of his tribe. Can I just ask you, would you look here, how do you feel when somebody else is promoted above you? Somebody got a little bent out of shape recently and, and said, well, why does he get that privilege? Why does he get that opportunity? Speaking about another, another man. How do you respond when somebody is given a privilege or an opportunity that you think you deserve? How do you respond? Not only that, when you think about Dathan and Abiram, they belong to the Reubenites. And according to their tradition and according to their custom, they should be ruling the nation, not someone from the, the tribe of Levi. They should be ruling the nation. All of them thought more highly of themselves than they should have. Pride was at the bottom of it all. Now, can I ask you this morning, would you take just a second to examine your own heart? Is there a measure of pride there that thinks that you could do better and should do better and, and that you deserve more? Is there an element of pride there? Because that is really the root of all rebellion. The root of all uprising. Now another interesting fact, the Kohathites camped on the same side of the tabernacle as the Reubenites, meaning they lived right next to each other. Be careful about how much time you spend with a dissenter. Now I am a dissenter in many ways, but 
when I'm talking about the dissenting from the ways of God, dissenting from God-ordained leadership, be careful about how much time you spend with someone who causes dissension amongst the brethren, with a contentious person. Be very careful. It will rub off. The Jews had an old saying one time, woe to the wicked man and woe to his neighbor. Because they understood that if you live next to a wicked man, a contentious man, then very soon it will begin to rub off on you. A lesson about who, who you spend your time with. If the people you are closest to spend most of their time, most of their words and criticisms and complaints, I'd find new friends. I'd quickly find new friends. It's not a spiritual trait to criticize and condemn. Anybody can do that. Now, let's go back to their complaints. Now, I remind you, they're already famous men, privileged men, men set apart from all of Israel to carry the tabernacle. They were very privileged men to live in close proximity to the tabernacle. They were privileged men, but it wasn't enough. And listen to their complaint. You take too much upon you. That was a red herring. They didn't think that Moses took too much upon them. They wanted what Moses had. Oftentimes, that's the way that an uprising, a rebellion sounds. You're doing too much. Meaning, give some to me. You're doing too much. He goes on. All the congregation are holy. Now, can I just say that was the stupidest thing he could have ever said. Never in the history of Israel had the congregation been less holy. Never had Israel been further away from God than they were at that moment. And it shows how ignorant that these men were of spiritual things. What about you? Are you ignorant this morning of spiritual matters? Do you imagine? Are you the kind of person that looks out and says, well, he could do that or she could do that without even knowing? I can remember uh, several years ago, there was a young man working with us, a uh, middle-aged man working with us, and um, there was a family that had wanted to be baptized, a husband and wife who wanted to be baptized, but there were some issues there. This was several years ago. And the issues were that the man was living in adultery. And it was known, known to his wife, and they were they were living in two different homes. He was refusing to be reconciled. He was acting one way, and it was a mess. Well, this middle-aged man had just heard that these two, that this man wanted to be baptized, and the man said, the pastor won't let me be baptized. Well, he didn't know that the man was living in open sin. And so he said, well, that's not right. The pastor should baptize you. What do you, oh, that's wrong. I'll talk to the pastor for you. And here they came. And what he did not recognize, and what he did not know is there was a, great, grave problem that showed there was unrepentance and that perhaps there showed, which ultimately it did, that there was no conversion. But oh, oh, how ignorant people can be to the reality of someone's spiritual condition. How quick we are to judge, how quick we are to say, well, you should do this and he should do that. And this man was showing how absolutely ignorant he was about the spiritual condition of the people. That shows the difference between a true shepherd and a hireling. A true shepherd knows his sheep. A true shepherd knows the condition of his sheep. Why a hireling is not interested in the condition of his sheep 
He's interested in the money he gets from the sheep. He just wants the position. That's the difference. They're all holy. They can all do this job. The Lord is among them. Couldn't have been further from the truth. Could not have been further from the truth. Spiritually blind. And then he wraps it up with an accusation. Why are you exalting yourself against the people? Now, anytime there's an accusation, anytime there's an accusation, you've got to be careful before you jump on board. We're living in a day of accusations, aren't we? We're flying all over the place. You've got to be careful. Because the, the truth of the matter was here that what they were accusing Moses and Aaron of was the exact same thing that they were doing. Now, would you look here for a moment? I've learned over my short years of ministry, I've learned that it's easy to point out in other people the same problem that is present in my own life. But it's also very hard to see it in my own life. If I, if I struggle with pride, then it's easy for me to look at someone and say, oh, look at that person, he's filled with pride. Can't see it in my own life, but I can see it in them. If you struggle with jealousy, you point it out. If you struggle with lust, you point it out or you assume it in somebody else, but you can't see it or at least you won't recognize it in your own life. But this man's accusation was nothing more than a self-accusation. You're exalting yourself, he said. He'd forgotten that Moses never wanted this position. He'd forgotten that Moses tried to get out of it. Do you remember the story? Not me, Lord. I can't even talk. Find somebody else. Moses never wanted it. That is the description of a self-promoting man. Look at the difference between the God-ordained man. What's Moses do when he hears it? Verse number four. When Moses heard it, he fell on his face. What the first thing Moses did? He prayed. He didn't go gather as many people as he could. He didn't try to get as many people on his side and to agree with him. No, he got on his face. He prayed. What do you do when things get tough? What do you do when things don't go the way you think they should go? When you are mistreated, do you pray? You see, the, the self-exalting men gathered men. They took men to themselves. But the God-ordained man took God to himself. That's what I want. Though all the world forsake me, if I have Jesus, Jesus only, I'll be okay. And that's exactly what Moses felt. In fact, Moses was such a humble man, such a meek man, he fell on his face, even as if even to say to God, God, if you want these men to lead, so be it, let them lead. I believe that was in his prayer. He never wanted it anyways. But we all know that God had chosen him. God had ordained him. And by the way, falling on his face was a reflex to when trouble came. Numbers chapter 14 and verse number 5, trouble came again. There was another rebellion. You remember the, the previous one when uh, we had that same sort of uprising. The Bible says in verse number 5 of, of, of Numbers 14, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly. Again, they fell on their faces in humility, straight to God. It was habit. It was reflex. I wonder, what do you do when things don't go the way you want them to go? Do you get on the phone and start talking to people? 
You'd never believe the way this man treated me. You'd never believe the I should have had this and I should have been this. Or do you fall on your face in prayer? And after prayer, look what he does in our text. When he, when he had fell upon his face, he spake to Korah and unto all of his company saying, even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his. You know what he did? He trusted God. Several years ago, I had been accused of being a sheep snatcher. They, some little denomination called me because some of their people had left their church and started uh, coming to ours. And uh, they called me a heretic and a sheep snatcher. And I was deeply bothered by it. I was grieved by it. I wasn't going after their sheep at all. I wasn't trying the Lord knows that from the very beginning we have sought to go out into the streets every day, every week to win the loss, to build a church of new converts. And if you've been around this church for any length of time, you'll know that this church has largely, up until the last year or 18 months, has been made up of new believers. And uh, we praise the Lord for it. It's been challenging when you have a church with 90% of new converts and just a handful of mature believers. That's a challenge. People know that. And I can't help it if sheep begin to recognize that they've been following something that is false. But anyways, I called my pastor in America and said, this man is calling me a heretic and he's ca calling me a sheep snatcher. What should I do? He said, do nothing. Keep your mouth shut. He said, the day you respond to them, the day you answer back to them, you are just as guilty as they are. And it's the day that your ministry dies. I've never forgotten that. Moses said, the Lord will show. The Lord will reveal it. Let me encourage you. Perhaps you've been accused of something. Perhaps someone has blasph blasphemed the name of God and perhaps they have, in the process, they have, they have brought slanderous reports against you. The Lord will reveal it. Just hold your peace. Fall on your face. The Lord will reveal it. Throughout the last 18 months, we've had a few slanderous things said about us. The Lord will reveal it. He will reveal it. The Lord will reveal two things, who are His and who is holy. The Lord will prove who is really His ordained servant and who really is holy, set apart, separate. Who's a pretender? So just trust the Lord. After he prayed, he trusted God. I believe one of the hardest things to do is to trust God when you're being slandered. One of the hardest things to do when your name is being run through the mud is to trust God and leave it with Him. It's hard. But it's the best thing to do. In fact, it's the only thing to do. The Lord will show. There is no panic in the heart of him whose mind is stayed upon Jehovah. There is no panic. And then he does something which I think is admirable. He exposes their sin. Three things. Three things he shows, and we'll, 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 we'll quit. Verse number nine. Seemeth it a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of, of Israel? Here's what he says. You are ungrateful for what God has given you. Those who, who want more who think they deserve more, are ungrateful for what God has already given them. And that's the reason they have not received anything else. 
Because they're ungrateful for the calling God has already given them. For the opportunities that God has given them. And why should God give you more opportunity if you trample under your feet the opportunities already given you? Why? Why would He give you any more privilege if you despise the privilege He's already given you? If you've been faithful in little, then He will give you more. He goes on. That's their first sin, ingratitude. Their second one was this. We find in verse the middle of verse number 9, pardon me, verse number 10, And he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, and seek ye the priesthood also? They were ungrateful, and they demanded more. They were desiring another man's calling. They were desiring what did not belong to them. That's always been the problem of man, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These three things we find all through the Scriptures. Three little problems. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Wanting more. Wanting to do more. Wanting to be more than what God ever ordained for you. And the third sin, look at verse number 11. It was revealed ultimately for which cause both thou and thy company are gathered together. Look at the next three words. Against the Lord. But they didn't realize that their accusations and their rebellion against Moses was actually a rebellion against God. Anytime there's an uprising against God-ordained men, it is a rebellion against God. Because God has done it. God has ordained it. God has said it to be so. But it does not mean that those men can abuse that power. The moment they do, they lose that calling. They lose that opportunity. That The moment that, that privilege and that calling is used to abuse the people of God is the moment that they've lost it. But if they be following still the Lord, then it would do you well to get behind them. It would do you well to recognize it and to stand with them. One verse and I'll close. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 38, the same thing happened. You remember the nation of Israel, the Jews were standing against the preachers of the, the preaching of the apostles. And uh, our, our dear early apostles, Peter and the others were preaching. They were arrested. They were abused. And one, uh, Gamaliel stood up and he said this in verse 38, I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel or if this work be of men, it will come to naught. It'll come to nothing. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against it. Every once in a while we face trials and difficulties and slanders and accusations and we get nervous, people leave. I remember there was a time when there was a great influx of folks in our church by 70 or 80 people immediately. And, and, and shortly after that, it lasted for about a year or so. Shortly a great exodus of the church took place because of some gossip and some slander. And I was grieved, but I was reminded this is a work of God. And if it be a work of God, you cannot stop it. If it be a work of man, it'll come to nothing. But if it be a work of God, it cannot be stopped. It cannot be stopped. May the Lord give us wisdom. May He give us discernment. Be careful. There's a theme throughout uh, the wilderness wanderings, and there's a theme today. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you're following. I would never say 
I am the one you should follow. I might say like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. But if my follow, if I cease from following Christ, follow someone else. Follow Christ and Christ alone. Exalt the Savior in Christ Jesus alone. We'll look a little bit later at this rebellion, but I wonder, are you a self-exalting person? Or are you one who is content in what God has called you to do? Are you satisfied with what God has given you to do? Do you know what God has given you to do? I believe God has given each one of us something. Are you satisfied with it? Or do you look at somebody else and want what they have? May the Lord help each one of us. Let's pray. Father, we ask Thee for help this morning. We are mindful that there is within us a heart of pride naturally present. We are rarely content with what we have. And I pray that spiritually we might recognize what we have been called to, what we are being led to. We might learn to blossom and grow in the calling that has been placed upon us. We might recognize where Thou hast put us, where we have been led, and may we give our entire heart and life to that very thing until You lead us elsewhere, until You take us further. May we be grateful with our calling. May our eyes be fixed upon Thee. I pray that we would be very slow to speak, especially accusations and slanders. May we be slow to hear or receive them as well. Help us, we pray. Keep us united as a church. We thank you for the unity that thou hast given us. And we pray that it would continue around Christ and around thy word. Bless thy people, we pray in Jesus' name.